Hello, everyone, and welcome to our dry and tasteless show. My name is Christy. And my name is Illumide. And this is the Big Empty Purse Podcast. And I shut my camera off. My team is like, oh, did we lose Christy? I'm like crying. Yes. So I'm trying, I unmute. I'm like, no, Bob's still here. Bandwidth issues. <laughs> So, Lumide, what have you been up to since the last episode? I want to say it, but I'm going to refrain from saying it. You know, let's just skip how I am and go straight to what I did. That's a, I think that's the approach <laughs> here. That's the approach here. I did see the new Batman movie, the one with Robert Pattinson. I can mm. never remember if it's Patterson it? or Pattinson. Pattinson. It's Pattinson. Okay, well, I saw it. How was it? I thought it was good. It's made in a very similar way, because I guess they found so much success with the way the Batman trilogy that Christopher Nolan did. That was Christopher Nolan, right? Yeah, with uh, Christian mm -hmm. Bale. It's very much in that vein. So they didn't go the 90s route mm -hmm. where they made a campy Batman. And they, they made this broody, self-loathing, willing to die for a cause, dedicate his life to this bullshit, the very angsty Batman. And I think Robert, 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 Robert pa whatever, he did a good job. I think Zoe Kravitz was Catwoman. I think she did a good job too. Mm -hmm. I, I still think that Batman, uh, the Dark Knight, is still the best one. This one is coming in like, yeah. like maybe third place or something from that one. And the one with Bane is probably like a distant second. This would be a third. Yeah. But anyway, hmm. it was a good movie. I'm glad I saw it. I also saw this other bullshit movie. Okay. So listen, Tom Holland, <laughs> if you are listening to this, I love you. Your personality is just fantastic. I think you are very delight. You're a very delightful man. This movie, though, is some categorical bullshit. It's called Uncharted. Oh, no. When I tell you, you can, you know how some movies are money grabs. Like they just put a few big yeah. name actors in there. And those actors are also, yep. they have like executive producing credits. You know, they're all like signed the contract that says whatever percent of the profits this movie make, each person gets a huge cut of it. So you know this is a money grab. Right. And what they didn't think to do was make sure that the plot held any water. Uh. Terrible, terrible. It, it, you know how oh. sometimes when you, if you're going to do a movie like that and you know you're just going to like throw anything at the wall, see what sticks, at least make it high camp. Make sure it's aware of itself knowing that yeah. it's a fucking, you know, you have to like say for instance, Deadpool 2. Yeah. Deadpool 2. We knew that was a fucking money grab. Like, but <laughs> the writers made sure they made fun of the fact that this was a money grab movie. Like, just at least do that. But this yeah. movie was like them searching for, spoiler alert, I'm talking about Uncharted featuring Tom Holland. It was pretty much them doing a, it was almost like an Indiana Jones meets The Road to El Dorado, if that makes sense. But it didn't commit to either. They were looking for this lost treasure. <laughs> and then there's this whole like, you know, we're looking for it, other people are looking for it too. Yada, 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 you know. There was also like a hint of Pirates of the Caribbean in there because it was on a ship. It, the whole thing. The whole thing was garbage. The whole thing was fucking garbage. Tom Holland, I still like you. You're very delightful, but this was a bad move. Sorry. They just took whatever was left in the fridge and made something out of it. <laughs> Actually, I would argue they didn't even go to the fridge. They just went to the garbage can and just was like, oh, we threw this out last week. Let's see if we can need that. That's exactly what they did. It was garbage head to toe. The other thing I've been really frustrated, I mean, I've been frustrated most of this week, but these fucking gas prices, man. These oh. fucking gas prices. In the span of a week, jumped like a dollar thirty cents. I was yeah. actually probably two full dollars. Right now, well the last I checked, like last weekend, was four thirty seven. Four thirty seven. Uh. Like and it, I feel like nobody's complaining enough about this. That's a lot of money yeah. for fucking a gallon of gas. You understand? Like some people get twenty gallons, uh, twenty miles to the gallon. You could literally drive between 
DC and not even, you wouldn't even reach the other end of Silver Spring. There goes your fucking gallon of gas. And if you drive a premium car that requires 93 gas as opposed to 87 or whatever, you're paying like over, well over $5. So where are we going with this? What the fuck? I'm seriously considering, it might be time to just get that Tesla altogether because I can't afford 437 a gallon of gas. What the fuck is this? I'm mad about this. And the prices of everything is going, you go to Costco, you try to buy, everything is high in price. No matter where you look, the prices are just going heaven, all the way up to heaven, all the prices. And you're wondering why. Yep, perfect time to return to work, right? Exactly. Now now, now that I've complained about the fucking gas prices, fucking work is like, everybody has to come back to in-person everything. I was like, on, in this economy, in this fucking economy, who the fuck is paying 437 to drive to work? Who? Who? Me? I think the fuck not, you oh. trick-ass bitch. <laughs> I'm so mad about this. Uh. I'm livid. Speaking of, how have you been? <laughs> you know, not great. <laughs> I think the best way to illustrate how my week has been going is to tell you that I cried in a meeting at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. I was one hour into my day and I was already crying I'm in sorry. a meeting. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but I'm so sorry. I already had this huge to-do list and then I came into like some urgent fire drill and then I got into this 10 a.m. meeting and there was this set of tasks that I thought had been assigned to someone else and my boss was like, oh, so when are you going to be done with those? Uh, and I just, the look on my face must have been such that she was like, oh, do you need me to reassign it to someone else? And the words that came out of my mouth were, yes, I need some help. <laughs> At which point, I start crying, so I just slam shut my camera, like I just slam the button. <laughs> this is a meeting with like five people, by the way. This oh. is not, I'm not hiding among a whole array of people, it's five of us. And I shut my camera off, my team is like, oh, did we lose Christy? I'm like crying, yes. so I'm trying, I unmute, I'm like, no, Bob's still here, bandwidth issues. <laughs> not bandwidth just issues. just crying. Emotional bandwidth. Yeah. Honestly, that was the bandwidth issue. <laughs> That's how I've been. I, I am very fortunate to have a really great boss, though, who, who stayed on the meeting after with me and was like, hey, how you doing? You uh, you panicked there a little. <laughs> and she, she was like, did you forget over the weekend that there's a dumpster fire? It's still on fire. It, it, it was still on fire is. when you left. It's still on fire. <laughs> it could be. It could be better, but it could be worse. It could be worse. Wait. In the category of trying to make it worse is the DC Metro because, oh no, there's the there's high gas prices, so why don't we just take the Metro? No, no, no. In addition to fucking up most of their trains and then fucking up any plan to bring them back, uh, someone sends me an article yesterday that the Metro is closing down the yellow line between Pentagon and L'Enfant Plaza. What is everyone doing? Returning to work. How do I get to work? Going through Pentagon to L'Enfant Plaza on the fucking yellow line. <laughs> that is some categorical bullshit. Eight months they want to close it. Eight months. What the fuck? Ah, eight months. Just, just a giant middle finger. Just fuck you. <laughs> it's also the main way people get to National Airport. Oh, DCA? <laughs> yes. Oh, that. Wow. Wow, 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 yeah. wow, wow. Who shall not be named airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we move. We find the bright spots. Uh, I got kind of a new tattoo. Uh, it's really the same tattoo that I just expanded more. But that was exciting. Hey. I also, well, I watched one and one quarter movies. <laughs> So I watched the movie Candyman, the one that came out last year. Candyman is a horror movie. So it's a sequel, I suppose, to the original Candyman, which I believe came out in the 90s. But it takes place like many, many years later. So the original Candyman is about this sort of bogeyman, the Candyman, who is haunting. We'll say haunting. 
these, um, it's like a low income housing project in Chicago. And there's this grad student who goes there to do like a project about what she assumes is an urban legend, which turns out to be real about the Candyman. It's a horror movie. It's a really good movie, the 90s one. So I was really excited for this. They were sort of tight lipped about what it was going to be and how it was going to tie into the 90s one. But it was really great. It was basically so Jordan Peele, obviously Jordan Peele had to like take it to another level. He was not going to make like the basic horror movie. So in modern day, they took that same area where there was that housing project and it's now been gentrified and there's like an art studio and all of this stuff, but the Candyman is still there. And so the way he comes back and starts fucking things up for people is like in this new context. I won't give too much away, but it's very, very good. I really enjoyed it. Naya DaCosta is the director. Mm -hmm. She did a great job, loved the directing. And this is actually only her second movie. The first one, she was just like a breakout hit with a movie she did at a film festival. And clearly other people liked it because she's now directing a Marvel movie next. She wow. literally went to like- <laughs> That's a, You know what? Shout out to this woman. Love that for her. Truly I do. And then I watched 30 minutes of a terrible, terrible, terrible movie called Lamb. Mm-hmm. Also on paper, a horror movie, an Icelandic movie, didn't go in knowing many details about it, except that it's about this couple that works on a sheep farm in Iceland. Cool. Okay, fine. Creepy setting. They're all alone in the mountains of Iceland. Da, 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 sheep. We watched this movie. Nothing Nothing is happening. Huh? Nothing Nothing happens. They'll just... It switches scenes. Like, every scene is, like, 90 seconds long. But it'll just be a shot of a sheep breathing for 90 seconds. And then they show you 30 seconds of, like, a mountain with some fog. And then they show you 60 seconds of one of the people riding a tractor. And then they show you 90 seconds of them eating breakfast and saying three words to each other. Jail. Jail. Everybody on that field, jail. jail. (laughs) Electric chair. Why this? Honestly. Honestly. I don't know. We were watching and we were like, something has to happen. Nothing. Like, there was no narrative development at all. For 30 whole minutes? They just kept showing sheep breathing. (laughs) The name was very apt. Lamb. You just show you sheep breathing for two hours. Well, let me tell you, we decide to give up on the movie. This is something we've been trying to do. Like, not not sync the whole movie time. And like, if it's really bad in the first half hour, we give up on it. So we decide to give up on this movie. But I'm still curious. I'm like, something must happen eventually in this movie, right? So my husband starts skipping ahead to random parts in the movie. How I watch movies. Yeah, I love this approach. Spoiler alert for the movie Lamb. Please just listen to my spoiler and don't go watch this movie. Spoiler alert, he's jumping around and we see this anthropomorphized child with a lamb head Uh in like a little coat and some jeans and boots standing like a child, but with a lamb head. We were like, well, something happened in this movie. Uh, Apparently just like one of the sheep gave birth to like a sheep human hybrid and the couple like raises it as their own, but then everyone dies at the end. That's the movie. Yeah. Okay, two things. I look, yes. we, when you started explaining what the fuck this was and I got really concerned, I looked it up. First of all, Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 86%, which, fuck Rotten Tomatoes, raggedy bitch. Second, Metacritic gave it a 68. Also, fuck Metacritic, raggedy bitch. But one of the questions related to if you just search Lamb the movie, the first question people ask, what is the point of the Lamb movie? What is the point? What is the point? <laughs> what was the reason? The fact that it has 80, 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm assuming that's a very select few reviewers who gave it that but these reviewers have to be pretentious as fuck they're like at least they had shots of the mountains with fog and sheep breathing i was not actually as surprised that the critics liked it it's definitely the type of movie that critics could like get very up their own ass about be like (laughs) oh the the mountains reflect the barrenness of their childless life and like i'm not surprised that critics either liked or pretended they had to like that movie 
what I was shocked by is the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is like 65%. Like often I will see movies where it's like, oh, this was a movie written for movie critics where the critic review is like 80% and then the audience score is like 20% because no one actually enjoyed watching it. Yeah, this movie should not be anywhere near, like it shouldn't go past 10% on any rating scale. Honestly, jail, jail. Jail. <laughs> jail. <laughs> are we going to play a game today? Yes, we are. Hey. We are going to do a trivia game. One we've done before called I Should Have Known That, where the questions are theoretically easy, which will make them more embarrassing when we get them wrong. Which we will. We might. That's a very huge possibility. We've actually been doing very well. I know. Let me watch me jinxing us. I know. See, <laughs> no, but when we when we play these and we, I feel so good that I, the however many years I spent on this ghetto ass planet, <laughs> I don't know, the however many years I've spent on this planet, I've at least somehow managed to retain some knowledge about just random stuff. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> all right we got question number one put these military ranks in order highest to lowest colonel captain major i think it goes in the order of captain major colonel uh, colonel i can't say it right so like captain is the the only experience that i know in terms of references i'm trying to think oh captain my captain which is why i put that first because mm -hmm. if, if that's such a revered you know am i making sense like if if you remember that movie with um robin what's his name Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Thank you so much. Oh, Captain, my captain. Was it Dead Poet Society? Something like that? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I just assume, oh, for them to have that be like a revered saying, the captain has to be the highest rank, right? And then I was like, what other columns <laughs> do I know? And I'm like, Sanders? KFC? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't know any, I don't know any like um, sayings or whatever <laughs> references to majors, which is why I just assume that is the least rank. And the other two will be a tussle. I don't know if Captain comes first or... So that's my reasoning. Am I right? What do you think? Sorry, my reasoning is so unsound. None of those references have anything to do with the army. Zero. <laughs> the military. Zero. Not even like a, a war movie. Like just... <laughs> nope. I don't actually have much better. I feel like I know people who are captains. I think that one might be a little lower. Oh, that's shady. Captain lowest, major, then colonel highest. I don't... I don't this is such a guess. Oh, I guess we said the exact opposite things. Let's see what we see. I was right. Captain is the lowest, then major, then colonel. Oh, colonel, my colonel. Wow. I knew I was going to get that one wrong. Oh, Marines are different from the army, right? Yes. All right. I don't know anybody who's in any kind of military position. I love that for all of them, though. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> all right. Question number two. What do you call a match, especially a soccer match, between two teams from the same town? You jinxed it for me. No words are coming to my mind. Watch, it's something like very simple, like hometown rivalry or something. I don't know. I know. <laughs> it's going to be something like that. I'm trying to think if there's, because I don't watch soccer. I'm trying to think if there's an equivalent, because like I watch American football and there's a couple teams that are in the same town. Like there's two New York teams, the Jets and the Giants, and there are two Los Angeles teams. Sorry, I have a simple but... question. You said the Jets and the Giants. Yeah. What are the Knicks? Are those basketball? Basketball, right? I think so, because I just remember the Jay-Z song, the Knicks and Nets give me high five. So I just thought those were the same sport, but it, it, it makes sense that the Knicks are the basketball team. Oh, I can't guess. Um, I'm going to, okay, you know what, just for the sake of um, being decisive, I'm going to call it sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry? All right. I have no choice. I don't, I don't know anything to say. What do you say? I don't fucking, I don't know. Hometown hot mess. <laughs> A derby? A derby? I would not have guessed that. This is some British bullshit. This sounds like some British bullshit. Yeah, so the definition derby. of a derby by Miriam Webster is a race for three-year-old horses usually held every year. The phrase originates from the town of Ashburn, Derbyshire, England. Okay. Some fucking town in England named it after themselves. For those of you, if you if you listen to this podcast and you live in Derbyshire, fuck you. And specifically and particularly you, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> 
Okay, wow, I really did jinx us. All right. Oh no, they gave us more sports. Ah. What do you call the area that is normally used for the first stroke of each hole on a golf course? Yeah, you jinxed us. How do we not know any of these? Actually, you knew the first one. Thank God. Oh, I guess, I guess the first one. <laughs> I was like, I think I have a cousin who's a captain. The thing is, I know a bunch of other golf words, but I don't know this one. Like the green is the one near the hole. Like it's like the really flat part around the hole. There's like, I think it's called a, a trap, like the sand pits. I'm least, not going to know what this. What is it called? I feel like I should pick something. It's, it's going to be called um, a flop. Let's go with a flop. It's going to be called a flop. The first stroke. I mean, the t it's a T. Let's reuse the T. So that's where you T off. So I'm going to call it the... The T? T area. T zone. T zone. Oh, it's just called the T. Oh, so that you were right. You were right. Hey. I'm sorry I was Look useless to you this episode for the trivia. I'm so fucked. <laughs> I knew none of them. If I ever pick up golf, I will never call it the T. I will consistently... I'm going to... I'm calling it a flop every single time if I ever pick up golf. <laughs> so the topic we'll be discussing today is self-awareness. We are really setting ourselves up for it today. Dun dun. <laughs> Most episodes, it's like, how did you get from that topic into trauma? But this one is just like opening the door wide oh, yeah, for no. it. But the thing is, y'all know, y'all know what this is. If you've listened to our other episodes, the back catalog, you know, you know what this is. Come on, let's get into it. So we've spared y'all the book reports for the past few podcasts. So something about self-awareness, I felt like called for a little mini book report. It it's like it called for a little bit of being pedantic. So self-awareness is the experience of one's own personality or one's own individuality. And it's not the same thing as consciousness. Mm -hmm. So someone can be conscious but not self-aware. So consciousness is being aware of one's environment, one's body, one's lifestyle. Self-awareness is a recognition of that awareness. So like recognizing that you have that awareness. Oh, I see, I see. It's also how you know and understand things about yourself. So your character, your feelings, your motives, and your desires. So. People have obviously studied this and from what we understand even like newborn infants have some sense of self-awareness but it becomes a lot more developed at like one one and a half years old and the big way they test for self-awareness i love social science experiments they're so funny psychology experiments <laughs> they crack me up so they do it's called the mirror test so at least for babies and there's there's a variety of them but when the baby's not awake they'll put like a red dot on their nose and then put a mirror in front of them and as their self-awareness gets more developed, instead of reaching for the red dot in the mirror, they'll reach for their own nose. Like they recognize that that dot is on their nose, oh. even though they're seeing it in the mirror. With my bad eyesight, I would honestly just reach for the mirror. <laughs> I would just be like, hmm, that looks like it's far away. <laughs> but yeah, that's actually really clever, that test. Yeah, and they've actually done similar tests on animals and have determined, at least by this measure, that apes, dolphins, and randomly magpies have shown some level of self-awareness. Oh, and then for the last little layer, there is both internal and external self-awareness. So internal self-awareness is being aware of yourself and how you view yourself. And external self-awareness is being aware of how others view you. External self-awareness, I think it might be even more difficult because you would need someone to tell you how they view you honestly. Because how would you how would you yeah. be aware of how others view you? If, if you? if you just think you're aware of how others view you, you're, you actually don't know how they view you, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, I feel like it's a rabbit hole of like, you have to be like aware of, very aware of what you're doing and then very aware of people's responses to what you're doing and then be correctly interpreting what you're doing that's eliciting that response and like understand what the response is, like what it actually means for that other person. Yes, but even all of that, if you if you're doing all these calculations in your head as a I don't know, nobody does, nobody lives in a vacuum. But if you're not able to confirm how that person views you or how they're reacting, just literally straight from their own being and consciousness, and I guess 
then whatever you have just calculated, I would still put squarely under internal self-awareness, even though it's your awareness of how they view you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. If they can't confirm it, then you you really can't say for sure that's how they view you. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, this is a rabbit hole. Then you can go back and forth. You know what? We can make a movie about this (laughs) and make it one of those like lamb movies where it doesn't like quite say anything, but it'll just be like a... Just be staring into a mirror with a dot on your nose, breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Since we are an unintentional trauma podcast, the first question is, I suppose, I think it's weird for one person to be able to say whether or not they're self-aware, if that makes sense. It does seem weird. And it doesn't seem like a light switch sort of thing. Like, it seems like people, like, at least the way I'm understanding it, like, all people have some level of self-awareness, but it seems like it can ramp up. Like, it seems like a sliding scale. Like, it feels like you can be, like, technically aware of yourself and have a total misunderstanding or not bother to think about, like, who you are as a person and why you do the things you do and how they affect the people around you. Watch. In another 50 years or so, psychologists will come up with a very detailed scale of characteristics where they say self-awareness level 10, level 8, level 6. And at each level, they tell you all the things <laughs> that maybe you're aware of your bullshit, but you haven't unpacked it. That's level 2. When you've unpacked it, you go up to level 4. When you do something about it, once you unpack it, that's level 6. <laughs> and so forth and so on. But um, the, I guess the simple question that we should ask each other is, do you consider yourself self-aware? I consider myself more self-aware than I would like to be. I consider myself <laughs> an upsettingly high level of self-aware. Yes. <laughs> oh, let's just let's just like do just go right in the deep end, shall we? I have bipolar disorder. Because of that, I feel like sometimes I can't completely trust my own thoughts and motivations and so living with that and also going through treatment for that, both like talk therapy and assessing the effects of medication on myself, I feel like I am hyper self-aware. Uh-huh. Because I've One, I can't always trust it. Two, I'm trying to like assess the impact of things. I'm trying to see what works, what makes it better, what doesn't. And it's a, it's a journey. Oh, wow. And it, it, it's very frustrating because I, I feel an emotion. And even if it's a perfectly, utterly reasonable emotion, I have to assess it. I'm like, wow, something nice happened and I feel happy. Or is it, or is it a manic episode? Like, like... (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. It's great. I shouldn't laugh. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. I've never thought about that before, yeah. but that is very tricky. Oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is why. I don't recommend it. <laughs> this is why I don't go to therapy. This is why <laughs> I don't want to find out because once I find out, I will be even more worried about the state of the union. I will say also because of that, I was we were doing this very fun game, me and my psychiatrist of I'm anxious and I can't focus can I not focus because I'm anxious or am I anxious because I can't focus? Oh yeah, that's a loop you don't want to get stuck in. It's a blast. It's really so fun. Because of my bipolar, everyone was like, well, that's making you anxious. So clearly it's anxiety. And once we fix the anxiety, you'll be able to focus. So we're trying all these things like, let's fix the anxiety. And it was not working. Uh, It turns out I have ADHD too. (laughs) So... You understand what I'm saying well, now? You're, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Let's just let's just leave it into the unknown. But it was it was actually great because it was. Uh, I mean, it's helped a lot because right. they put me on a stimulant, which normally it's like, oh, this person might have manic episodes. We probably shouldn't give them, them a stimulant. Up. But it turns out that was exactly what I needed. It helped so much. I could actually focus. It, it's been like a revelation. But it's it's just so interesting because I was analyzing that for so long, being like, why won't this go away? Like, why can't I focus? It's. I'm glad I know 
because yes. it has gotten so much better yeah, with yeah. therapy and medication, but it is also extremely frustrating to not be able to put aside that self-awareness about my own right. thoughts and right. emotions. Once you start on the path, it's very difficult to consciously and intentionally stop going down that path. It's mm -hmm. like once you start, it's a free fall. And you just yes. you, you dig even deeper. You realize, oh wow, fuck! And then you dig even deeper than that. Every it's like it's like falling mm -hmm. into the abyss indefinitely. But there are several rungs that you hit on the way down. So not only are you falling, you're just smacking things all the way down, and it just doesn't end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't recommend it. See, some people when I was younger, and I'd see people who I didn't think were self-aware, I would find it as my special, my responsibility to drag them into self-awareness. And now I'm like, mm. you know, that's not fair. They don't deserve this. They could they could be ignorantly blissful their entire lives. Why would I be the person to ruin that for them? Why? So now I don't do that. <laughs> but do I think I'm self-aware? I think somewhat. Like with res with respect to like trauma and stuff like that, and you know, trying to understand my own motives and stuff like that. I think I'm somewhat self-aware. But there are aspects of my trauma and personality that I avoid addressing. I clearly need therapy. <laughs> And I know that. See, this is my self-awareness <laughs> letting me know that I fucking need that thing. But the thing is, I have this irrational fear that addressing some parts of my trauma response and coping mechanisms would essentially strip me of the very important motivation that keeps me afloat, if that makes sense. So yeah. the world is very unfair and it's very competitive. And a lot mm -hmm. of my trauma response is how I'm able to cope and be in or ahead of the curve of a very, very competitive and unfair world. It's true. Like... It, you know growing up poor all the stiff like you know the family interactions the interaction all that kind of stuff and all of those motivations make me me or at least make me i wouldn't say i'm successful but i think i can navigate the world better so imagine me going to therapy unpacking everything becoming very wholesome and everything would just start <laughs> miserably failing in my life like, everything would just start dropping like flies <laughs> dead flies so i'm like maybe we should keep some of this trauma at least for now until i become so stupid rich that even if i <laughs> when i make like my first billion i'll consider therapy Oh, God. I'm going to hell for saying that. Oh. By the way, if you listen to this podcast, please go to fucking therapy. Don't <laughs> go now. Don't wait until you made your first billion. Oh. Go now. Anyway. No, but it's not an irrational fear. I mean, I've gotten so much from therapy and from medication, but it is like there's a reason people who actually understand what it is know that it's a lot of fucking work. And it basically involves tearing everything down to build it back up. Like, yep. it, it's a messy process and going through some of it can very much change what motivates you, how you view the world. Like, in the middle before you get to something productive is sometimes something very, very not productive, even if you're on the right path. It's it's not irrational. But I, yeah, I very much remember early, like, when I first sought out medication for my bipolar. One of the first ones I tried helped a lot with controlling the, the depressive and the manic episodes, but I didn't care about a goddamn thing. <laughs> Nothing was important. I was, I, I did not care. I came to work. I would just look at my computer. I was like, no. Wow. See, Why would I do my job? I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> we, we fixed that. There was a time I was like, I know consciously, academically, I know I need to do my job, but actually, what am I feeling? I'm feeling like I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm feeling like I don't care and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> See, that's what I'm terrified of. Mm -hmm. That was, I mean, that was a step along the way, but it changes and it's, you have to get through those times. You do have to get through those yeah. times. That is, which is why, I mean, I know I said it flippantly and I said it mostly as a joke that I'll wait until I make my first billion for me to go to therapy. But what I'm really saying is right now, I don't feel like I have enough backup or support system to even manage going through any one of those patches. Even the slightest oh, duration yeah. of a patch like that will take me out. Sometimes I look at, 
how hard it is to keep my life afloat of course hopefully i make it look easy but it's actually fucking <laughs> miserable and sometimes you know you just want to call somebody to complain or you just want to like whatever it is i re i recognize very quickly like there's no support system so like even this this nonsense we're talking about like covid mm -hmm. you can take your no my dear me getting covid and being out of commission for two weeks will do a number a number that i'm afraid i won't mm -hmm. be able to recover from so i'm like no i'm not out of commission for anything or anyone after i make my first billion and i'm feeling like i've achieved financial freedom or stuff like that or at least you know there's several streams of income like i don't have to worry about money and maybe i don't have to worry about survival and maybe i'm like you know I, i'm in a sort of quote unquote happier place although i recognize like my life is good i have to say all things considered i do recognize that my life is good but at that point maybe i'll have the mental capacity to take on the kind of work and journey i have to be on to be even more self-aware like unpacking i do i will unpa unpack this stuff so say for instance the reason why i would unpack my own trauma is because there is a block of me being productive or being able to keep my life afloat and this trauma is in the way so i'll unpack it just mm -hmm. so i can keep my journey going it's not the case where i'm unpacking it to be like a more wholesome person no what i do unpack is because yeah it is actively in the way <laughs> yeah. of me progressing yeah so i can't just go out here like what i i can it to is like a, a fucking pandora's box i crack open just enough to let enough out that i can scrub clean imagine me going to a therapist and they're like let's see what's under there and they yank the whole top off <laughs> <laughs> the end the fucking end do you have any hesitation setting and maintaining boundaries the short answer is no and the long answer is it depends with whom i think overall though i am getting better at maintaining boundaries but i'm finding now okay so now i'm actually trying to actively and intentionally date which people ain't shit like yeah. bottom line people ain't shit i'm having a you know whatever mm -hmm. but i think it's very difficult when dating because if somebody doesn't know you well or long enough to realize that the boundaries that you've set is not a personal slight to them you understand what i'm saying then they can they can perceive it as you being unnecessarily stubborn hard you know distant that kind of stuff and they may not get it then you have to then the boundaries that i would normally like standard set for everybody this is what I'm going to accept. For this person that I'm dating, I have to just be willing to accept more until they're used to the kind of person that I am. Otherwise, it wouldn't even get off the floor. Hmm. But the problem with that is, and I'm finding, is if I then move my boundaries temporarily until I feel like they've known me well enough for me to put my boundaries back in place, when I go put my boundaries back in place, they're going to get upset or want to leave because the person that they ended up liking is the person that had those that temporary period where I just chose to have looser mm -hmm. boundaries. They're going to think like, oh, I two-faced them, which mm. what I've done to combat that is to just from the jump set all the same exact fucking boundaries for everybody, whether or not I don't accept anything different. The problem with that is, I guess there is no problem with that. Everybody just thinks you're an absolute fucking asshole. Right. So... <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, I find that difficult. And I, I never want to be disingenuous. Like, I just, I, I, want to, I want to be very clear about this is what you're seeing and this is exactly what you're going to get. Because if I were on the other side, that's exactly yeah. what I would want. But anyway, I find that tricky. The fact of like, you know, you have boundaries, but you have to loosen them when you're dating, that kind of thing. How about you? Do you have any hesitation setting and maintaining boundaries? I do. This is something I really struggle with. It's something that I'm getting better at, but like, I feel like I need to do, well, I do self-reflect it's really the maintaining boundaries and being very right. clear and being like willing to push back on people when they try and cross them that I'm not great at. I'm such a people pleaser. I'm so non-confrontational and it's something I'm working on. It's a matter of a bunch of things. Like it's just a confidence thing. It's a self-doubt thing of, is this boundary I'm setting a reasonable one or am I being unreasonable? So I question my own boundaries, which keeps me from enforcing them. It's not, it's not great. It's something I'm really working on. I actually really admire that about you, that you are very clear and firm about your boundaries. Thank you. <laughs> Years of work. This is the point that I was going, this is the point that I was trying to make earlier, right? My ability to set boundaries and 
maintain them. And I think I'm actually fairly good at this at this point. I realized at some point in my, I don't know, self-awareness journey. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in my development as a person, I, I realized that at some point that for me to be more productive or somewhat more, okay, trauma time. <laughs> I've said this before on the podcast. I grew up fairly poor, actually fucking poor. And then as a kid, you know, I went to boarding school at six and then I get, you know, you go through families' houses when you're not in school. I moved through a couple of people's homes. And what I learned then is, even at a very young age, that the way people think and interact with you is different. Like, just because they're different people, obviously. But you as a person can't have the same face to every single person. You have to be able to pivot. This is what, mm. this is how I need to interact with this person and that person. I think most kids who ha have, like, mm -hmm. friends and family growing up, like, if you see the same parents every day, this is how your parents, people who interact with you that, that way, that's that's the only other face you have to exercise on a daily basis. But if you have to move people's houses, like, mm. maybe some six times a year, then you're constantly pivoting, moving. And at some point, you just realize mm -hmm. that you don't know who you are unless you're interacting with a specific person. You as a person don't, doesn't exist. You as a person, you don't exist. You just exist as a function of who you're interacting with. So your personality changes drastically based on whose house you're in or who you're interacting with. That being said, when I eventually got to the US, I, I just realized that people here are very inconsiderate. Like the American culture is very isolating. Like people don't, you know, nobody thinks of the next person in the community. Everybody's just thinking about themselves. And then what I realized is, oh, not only do I have to interact with every single person differently here, as I've always done, I also have to keep in mind that these people, they're not trying to be mean by taking advantage of you. They just don't give a fuck about you. Yeah. Everybody's going to pull one over on you just because they can, not because they absolutely hate you as a person. It's just they're going to do it to anybody. You just happen to the person that dated did it to. And I just realized then I was like, oh, for me to make any headway in this country so like I don't just get taken advantage of at every single turn, I have to have extremely and remarkably strong boundaries. That's the first, that was one of the, it took me a while to learn this because I've been, I've been in this fucking country for a very long time. But I don't think I learned this last until I was in my 20s. <laughs> my 20s. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> learn it. And as soon as I figured it out, I was like, oh, shit. I now have to be really strict with these boundaries, no matter, like, and I have to hold myself. The hardest part, the, the easiest part is actually setting the boundaries. The hardest part is enforcing them and maintaining them. Because some days you're just like, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I'm being unreasonable. And I'm like, no, you said you were going to enforce it to everyone. Nobody's fucking special. Enforce it. And whatever fallout that comes from it, you eat that fallout. But you have to exercise it every single time. It's hard, though. I will say it's hard. So are you content with the efforts you put in your relationships? Yes and no. I definitely do a better job now than I used to do. I'm like more, more purposeful about it. Like which relationships I really want to prioritize and maintain. I'm better about, I mean, also part of it is my social anxiety is doing a lot better. Turns out that was an ADHD thing. Not entirely, but <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Um, <laughs> yeah, I would get such bad social anxiety that I couldn't even like respond to a text message. So that sort of stuff, notwithstanding, there's still a level of consciousness that I now and like intention that I have now in maintaining relationships that I didn't used to and into building new relationships mm. that I didn't used to. But at the same time, I feel like there's not enough time in the day. Like there are people who I genuinely like and would like to have a relationship with that I just you don't got the time. Because <laughs> of time. But I've also been better about cutting off relationships that I was putting effort into that were going nowhere. Oh, yeah. Like, that I've been better about as I was older. Because now I'm like, there are there are people who I want to have a relationship with that I don't have the time and energy to. Why am I putting time and energy into something that is not productive mm -hmm. or healthy or fun or nice or anything? Like, why? Why? No. So, I've been better about just... And, like, 
recognizing when someone else is putting in effort. Like sometimes I'm putting a lot of effort into a relationship and it actually takes some reflection. So look and be like, oh. Is that person reciprocating? Wait, like it's, it's not on me that this relationship is not being kept up. I'm trying. They're not giving me anything back. Yep. I agree with everything you've just said. And I think you and I are probably in the same boat in that. I'm now intentionally putting more effort in my relationships than I have previously. But I don't, I don't think I'm putting as much as I can. And I feel guilty about that sometimes. Like you said, I, I genuinely don't have the time. I can't wait to make my first billion dollars. Hopefully my life will be so much easier then. But (laughs) no, but like the the amount of, you know, now what I do is if I'm thinking of someone, I pick up my phone and I send them a text and I say, hey, I was thinking of you earlier. I hope you're well. You know, and I do that. Maybe if I do it three or four times and I don't hear back from that person, then we're deleting that contact information. But Mm -hmm. I, I do, before I wouldn't even send that text. Before I wouldn't even like, if the conversation died at the last place it died, and if you're not one of my like top people that I send memes to or like talk some yuck, yuck, yuck bullshit, like I don't go out of my way. I don't. So I just, those interactions just died. Now I put in more of an effort. And then if the effort is not being reciprocated, then, but I need to be, I think I need to be more lenient about the amount of time or chances I give someone to reciprocate before I like toss the whole thing in the trash. But do I really want to be more lenient is the question I have to ask myself. 90% of the time, no. Because like if that time gets freed up, yeah. why would I free it up and then put it back into the pot where I freed it up from? Like use it for something mm-hmm. else. <laughs> use the time for something else. Now the people who have relationships content with the effort that I'm putting in, you're gonna have to ask them <laughs> because <laughs> I just genuinely don't know. And I can't think about that. Speaking of, you know, being mm-hmm. externally externally self aware. I just I make sure that I don't worry about that because I'm like I already put in as much time as I possibly can. If I had to put in more time, I had to take. I would have to take it out of something else. Do I want to take it out of something else? No. If they're not happy with it, can I change that? No. Eh, then why am I thinking of this? <laughs> Keep it stepping, right? Yeah. No. Other people's perception of my relationship with them. I feel like that can be a hard thing to judge. I've definitely been surprised sometimes when I've gotten some information about how someone feels about me and like our relationship. Like usually, I'm a pretty good judge of it, but. Sometimes it'll be something like I'm feeling so guilty. I feel like I never text this person as much as I want or call them or it's been or I've had to cancel on them a bunch and I feel bad and the guilt is like keeping me from doing more because I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm annoying them. I'm not this is not a great relationship for them. And then I like hear on the flip side that like they're very excited every time they hear from me. They really like having me in their life. Like it's sometimes like I'll realize that my own feelings and perceptions are holding back that relationship and not the relationship itself. Yep. It's hard to it's hard to always tell someone else's perception of it. But For it, the easiest one is our parents, my parents. Like I'm sure they wish that I mm-hmm. could put more effort into the relationships I have with them. And that one is probably the one I feel the most guilty about. Mm-hmm. Because this is probably going to get even more depressing. It's it's <laughs> I didn't, that was possible. So you know the thing when you're a kid and you just think, oh my God, my parents, my parents, you just, you probably think that your parents are the, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And then over time you grow up, you experience all this trauma. And then when you get older, you know, maybe, maybe through your teen years, you resent them for some of it. And then you come out of the other end and you probably like, and then one day you just realize these are just people who happen to have had a child. They're just people like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that child just happens to have been me. So they're deeply flawed human beings. There's nothing great about them. And then you start to think, maybe I shouldn't be so hard on them just because they're just human beings and they fucked up. But then you just remember specific instances where they went out of their way to fuck up. Mm-hmm. And that amount of time and effort it takes for you to be for you to have a really good functional relationship with someone is already lost. And on the flip side, they just expect, oh, why don't we have a great relationship? And you're sitting there like, mm-hmm. now I'm feeling guilty that we don't have a great relationship. But is that really on me? Am I the reason our relationship isn't? Obviously, it's not. I don't think it's only on me or if it is specific, specifically on me. 
and you're like okay what we're gonna have to do is if we're like first of all you have to ask yourself now do you really want to build that relationship to a place where it's like fantastic and great and if the answer is yes despite all the stuff that you may or may not have experienced throughout your relationship if you want to just go for it and say well we're just gonna act like none of that happened and we're just gonna try to start and do everything nicely the problem is if i had to do that now i just simply don't have the time to dedicate it's impossible my life is dragging me Mm -hmm. 20 different directions i cannot dedicate the time to build a brand new relationship with my parents one that's way more functional Mm -hmm. and maybe so now i feel guilty about that too Meanwhile, the amount of time that I have left with them on this planet is only going to get less. Mm-hmm. That yeah. adds a, and, you know, you think uh, about it. And so yeah. that even adds a deeper layer of, oh, my God, what mm-hmm. the fuck? So that, so to answer the question, yeah, my relationship with my parents, I'm not content with that effort that I put in. But I don't know. I don't know if anything's going to be different even if I do put that effort. And if I try to put that effort, how much time would it take? So no, I'm not content with that. But mm-hmm. am I able to do anything of it as of yet? No. So this is a problem that I can't worry about right now. I just have to keep whatever relationship I have with them for now and we'll see what we see. It's very sad, but I, anyway, you get the point. You get the point. It's a dead horse now. I beat it to death. <laughs> no, but it is interesting. Like, I feel like I have healthier relationships with with some exceptions, but with people I have met more recently because I was more aware of who I am as a person, right. what are my boundaries, what am I looking for out of a relationship, and built it from that place. Like some of some of my older relationships, like, you know, in some ways they've goes, go, like grown stronger, but in other ways it's like I'm having to like go back and fix things retroactively. And that goes like right, that 100 goes. times over for <laughs> my parents. Like, right, 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 right. <laughs> and like, you know, it's not, not like trying to fix, like I'm trying to fix everything, but like it's, there's so much history there. Mm-hmm that it's hard to just like change one action and like the relationship starts on a certain path. Yes. Like, it's not like, oh, if I call them once more per week, then it will definitely just no. be, have a close relationship. No, like, no, 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 <laughs> That won't solve all of it, no. Yeah, so that, and that's, mm-hmm. man, yeah, this is why we keep saying you have to be very intentional before you have kids. I have to actively view my parents as just regular people and sometimes regular brand new people. So I just think, how would I treat mm-hmm. A person of this age who I meet on the best of terms. What level of engagement am I willing to, without any history, trying to forget all the history, like what level of X would I do? Which I think makes me a kinder, softer person, which is, I guess, the goal. But I'm like, you have to just hmm. proceed and act like, you know, this is, this is just this person that is at this point of their life and I'm at this point of my life and we're meeting somewhere in the middle and nothing terrible has happened. We're going to take it from here and see what we see. Yeah, but that again requires so much effort and work. All right, here's a trap. <laughs> Do you feel like you are in control of your life? <laughs> Head first into this <laughs> trap. Absolutely not. <laughs> Especially the point that I'm at. But I will say though, I will say there are aspects of my life that I feel like I've got that down to a fucking science. Like I'm so good at that aspect of my life that if I choose not to continue to work on it till the day I die, I'm still way ahead on the path of any everybody anybody else. So, you know, but mm-hmm. the, the dumb stuff that I feel like, a very, very stupid example is getting to the point in my life where I can wear whatever I want in terms of clothing. Mm-hmm. Like I've been able to move past any, you know, issues or traditional mentality of what to wear and what not to wear. Literally, I see something, I want to wear it. I figure out if they make it in my size, if I can afford it, and then I fucking wear it. And nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. I just don't care. So that aspect, I have so much control over that. But other aspects of my life, twisting in the wind. Completely yeah. <laughs> I, I have no fucking clue. I don't know what's happening with it. You know, one morning I could wake up crying and I don't quite understand. It. I'm like, mm, but I have to be at a meeting in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to go with God. Yeah. Do I have control over that? Fucking no. But we're going to move. 
How about you? Do you do you feel like you're in control of your life? All I can see is that screenshot from Rugrats where he's like making <laughs> making something on the stove in the middle of the night. <laughs> I've lost control of my life. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes and no. The answer is more than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Similar answers. Uh, I feel like I gained a lot of control back over my life when I got out of grad school because <laughs> I felt I felt like they owned me. Like they owned my past time and my future time until I got that degree. Like so right. much of my life was like in their hands. So once I graduated, that that gave me back a lot of control that I felt like I'd been missing. Where it's like, I can go get a job, and if it's shitty, I can leave and get a different job. Like, right. it, there's not like, oh, if I leave, I'm throwing away four years worth of work. I need to fuck my drag. Things like that, having a little more money, I feel like I have more control. Yeah, knowing myself a little better back to, like, the self-awareness. Like, like there's things that are just, like, utterly and completely outside of my control. And mm-hmm. then there are the things that really bug me, which are the things that, like... Theoretically, I have this tiny bit of control over, but it's really pointless. Right. Like, <laughs> like I felt that way Like when Trump got elected. It was like, yeah, I went and voted. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. I did, like, theoretically, yes, I have a vote. I can exercise my voice. And I did. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, there are all these things in the world where it's like, right. like oh, I can, I can uh, you know, invest my little bits of money in the stock market, but I have no control over the stock market. Like <laughs> When you said that, the reason why I started cackling... Right. The reason why I started cackling is the first thing that came to my mind is me recycling. I don't know why I have such an issue with this because I think of I think I think of the volumes. I mean, with everything in my life, I, I try to see the big picture first, and then I like whittle my way down to the tiny details that make it up to me. But if, if you just look at the, the the quote unquote big picture, the volume of first of all, I use a lot of plastics as a twenty second cent you know twenty first <laughs> century person. I use a shit ton of plastic, and I'm like, if you think about it, in addition to the energy crisis that we have in the world, oh God, I sound like such a fucking tree hugger right now and i'm sorry but there's a point here i (laughs) promise you yeah all the plastic that we use of all the things that we as humans can do a lot of it is irreversible but if you look at a lot of industries there most of the newer industries have a life cycle you know they make this thing they figure out a way to maintain this thing and when the thing is to be discarded they figure out a way to there's already a plan to discard it but with a lot of the things that we developed in the 20th century we don't have the full life cycle for it Say, for instance, mm-hmm. today you go make a fucking software. You know that the software is going to be maintained for X amount of seasons. And then at a certain date, this is what you're going to do to taper it off, to take it out of circulation. And then, then whatever replacement comes. That's a self-contained thing. You know that already goes into the planning of the thing. Mm-hmm. But the number of plastics that we make and use, there is no good and reliable way to recycle or to make it even somewhat reversible. It is almost like a 100% mm-hmm. irreversible. And we're only creating and doing more of it. So I just think about, but I, mm-hmm. I, I live in 2022. I just, most of the things that I use are plastic, plastic. I, everything is plastic. There's just so much of it. And I, I definitely use a lot of it. So my guilt is like, okay, I will follow everything. Literally, like every bottle I use, I put it in the recycle bin. And if they don't come pick it up, I get in the car and I drive it to burning gas. Fuck me, the energy crisis even more. Anyway, I take it to the recycling plant to just drop it. <laughs> And if, you know, if somebody comes to see me and they put something in the trash that I'm like, I'm not going to go trash digging. But if I open the trash and I see, so, oh, there's a bottle of whatever here. I take that bottle, I take it out of the trash and I go put it in the recycling. I try to be as diligent as possible with it. But does it fucking matter? Because they're going to take up the recycling and then just go put it straight in the landfill with the rest of the trash. That, by the way, a lot of other people are not even recycling too. So that trash was already filled with plastics to begin with. The landfill is just only going to get worse. Right. So I'm, I, I, I have a power. I could contribute to the recycling and be as diligent as possible. But... Does it really make a fucking difference? Yeah, and there's there's so many things, especially with like energy and environmentalism, where there's this focus. I think it's part of the American like individualism bullshit of like, oh, like do your part and like if you if you make sacrifices in your life, like 
things will get better. And it's like, okay, like, yes, I do like save some emissions, like, you know, taking the metro instead of taking a car somewhere. But like, it's so minuscule compared to like heavy industry and manufacturing. Right. The dent I'm making is so like teeny, 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 tiny, like, and the things that are actually really contributing to it, I have no control, no control. over. Zero. So like, it is- <laughs> uh, that stuff drives me wild. Like, no. And I feel like a lot of our lives are just yeah. that. Yeah, and I think a lot of like control and like wanting to exercise control, I find in people who are less self-aware, this is one of those things that can come out in really toxic ways. Mm. Like people just feeling like they don't have control of things. And so like, if they can't control things that matter they'll just control anything they can control oh I, I do that i do that no i mean there's there's fine ways to do that like there there are healthy ways to do that and then there are ways like you know like a lot of bosses that are like oh, I see. you know not actually very high level who will like abuse their employees <laughs> because they have control over them and they they and they can um no there's there's healthy ways to do that same thing uh, well healthy i guess maybe yeah. it's a spectrum more but productive like, <laughs> ways more productive <laughs> yeah less harmful ways <laughs> there is not an aspect of my surroundings that I don't consider controlling. Mm. I don't, I don't. Yeah. If I can, I do not leave a single thing to chance. By the way, do you journal? <laughs> I don't, I don't. That's one of those things that like, I feel like I should do and I've started many times and it's never caught on with me. I don't exactly know why. Do you? Same, no, I, I don't journal. I know like people in college used to do it. I mean, again, childhood trauma, ding, 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 ding. I Jeez. never wanted to have any evidence of my thoughts, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I a lot of yeah. The, yeah a lot of the thoughts that I had as a kid I, I didn't think would be good for anybody to read on paper I was like let those stay in my head but you know what I realized when I asked when I put this question in the document I was like technically this podcast is some form of journaling hmm. and the fact that I may not be t- so I may not be journaling in the case of unpacking how my day went in real time every night just like saying uh today march x 2022 this is what i did this is how i thought about what i did this is how i felt about what i did these are the things that Mm -hmm. but if i listen to how i answer specific questions in 2019 or my thought process to answer that in 2020 in 2022 it'll be different slightly different maybe not vastly Mm -hmm. different but if i continue on that path maybe 10 years in what do i sound like 10 years in from the very first yeah so I, I do think the podcast hmm. is some kind of journal, but... So that segues sort of into this question of, like you were talking about, like making this record and looking back at it, but what's a lesson that you wish you had learned 15 years ago? The one lesson that I wish I learned sooner, and I don't know if this would have made my life better or not, but I would have just have loved to have known it sooner, is that the version of happiness that I imagined for myself 15 years ago, or whatever that time period was, I wish I just intellectually accepted that it was elusive and probably a myth. Some 20 years ago, you know, coming from where I come from, I thought, okay, when you're in your 20s, I really hoped that, you know, I'd be a part of like a tight-knit community with people I trust and respect and all the journey of significant life milestones would not be alone. It'd be part of this community. That Like that really was my mindset. It's so fucking juvenile. I can't even admit Mm -hmm. it. But somewhere along the line of my early 20s, I just accepted this shit is never going to happen. Like, you're in the shithouse now, pal. Basically, like, don't wait to have this fantastic community that you think you would have found your tribe to have all these life-significant milestones. Just start working through those milestones. If you have to do it alone, fucking do it alone. And the moment I accepted that to now, oh, my dear, I did 10 times what I would have done (laughs) in a shorter span than what I... Because I think that was my roadblock to realizing that, oh, no, the end goal of happiness is not what you think it is. Just start working your way towards whatever you can work your way towards. And if it happens, it happens. But in the meantime, you can't 
wait and hope and kumbaya your way to it. I don't know. That's like, I feel like that's a silly answer to the question, but yeah, they're also dumb shit no. that I would have told myself 15 years ago. But that one, I'm like basically to wake myself up sooner. I'd be like, no, bitch, get on your way, get on your fucking way. This is a hard question. Me from 15 years ago. Woof. <laughs> uh, Actually, ooh, a better. A I feel mess. like before we ask this question, I, I feel like a, a better segue question to this would have been: Would you, 15 years ago, be proud of you now? And then the follow-up would be, if that's hmm. the case, or if that's not the case, what would you have told yourself 15 years ago? Would me from 15 years ago be proud of me now? Yeah. Uh, she would be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I think she would be very surprised. <laughs> but I think she would be, and I think she'd be confused about what happened in the middle. But I do think she would be proud of me. I think a lot of it would be like, because things have just not gone the way I thought, positively and negatively. But in some ways... I've come back around to some things that I knew then that I doubted myself about so much that I had to go away from them and come back. Like, mm -hmm. I think 15-year-old me would be very fascinated by the fact that I work in communications and then to learn that I, like, <laughs> spent almost 10 years getting a degree in not communications because teenage me loved writing. And I just gave it all up because of, you know, good old Mr. Poverty uh, <laughs> was like, I need to make money. It doesn't matter what I like, I need to make money. So I think I would have been very amused with myself that I found a way to do both. No, a lesson I wish I'd learned is, it's a lot around self-worth. Mm. Like knowing and accepting that I have self-worth, but also knowing that that's something I have to build and cherish and work on. And that it's really the foundation for so many other things. Like I tried to define so much of myself around, like in terms of other people and in terms of my environment and in terms of my career ambitions and all of these extra things. And I was missing this basis of self-worth and self-knowledge and self-acceptance. And I didn't, it, sound, it almost sounds stupid, but it's something I didn't realize that I needed in order to be successful in other, in external things like my relationship and my career. No, it doesn't sound silly yeah. at all. It actually, I feel like it sounds like something that most people in their teens probably would benefit from learning much sooner. And if you're in high school and you think you already have self-worth, kudos to you. But make sure that's not just like mm -hmm. a stubborn personality trait where you've just hunkered down on something. Because you know how you know how like you find somebody who was so self-assured self in high school and then 15 years later, they're like mm -hmm. stuck as that whatever it is, personality that they adopted. Um, mm -hmm. But don't do that either. But be on your journey at least. <laughs> Start earlier if you can. Oh, I didn't answer the question is, would 15, myself 15 years ago be proud of me now? I think so. I think it's very similar to you. Um, I still haven't found what I would call my tribe. So they, they that, fif that uh, 15 years ago me would probably be like, step on it. Why haven't you done that yet? <laughs> but, but in all their aspect of, you know, just 15, 15 years ago me would be very proud of how independent I've become would be very proud because that's something that I wanted very much so. I guess just how good the life that I have has gotten. So that concludes our episode on self-awareness. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Big Empty Purse. Tweet us, message us, let us know what topics you'd like to hear us cover in the future. Next week, we're going to be talking about makeup. Until then, peace. <laughs>